0: Uh, another thing so what is the kind of gripper that you are uh, you use for this uh,
1: dishwasher uh, in This thing. project we use uh, a Dlr it hand uh, two uh, for the grasping of the pile and we use uh, the pizza soft hand for the placing okay. uh, both five fingers uh, um, robot hand and uh, and the pizza is soft so cannot be fully con- controllable but it has like strings so that you pull the threads you pull and the fingers close in in this way oh, okay. it's, uh, yeah soft and uh, you can place gloves on the hand so it has a very firm grasp on the on the object and um so basically yes we we showed that we could do these operations but the nice thing is not actually loading a dishwasher Nobody. Cats about uh, what was the robot that can right? But the problems are very interesting because you know there is object recognition, segmentations, so there is passing, there is grasping, there is placing. Uh, the, the nice thing is that uh, all of these uh, uh, all these aspects were tackled with the same kind of approach. You try to generate a probability density to learn probability density that tells you instead of telling you if you have these object you have to grasp it this way or if you have this object, you have to place it this way it tells you what is the 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 best way to, of grasping it in order in terms of maximizing the probability that you will actually succeed in grasping okay, okay. so and- it's around in, in a way instead of telling you this is my input I do some computation, I come up with a straight answer telling you do this and that's it. I'm telling you these are the options I could do and I associate the value to each of these options and these, op- these values represents uh, how confident am I that this action will actually succeed. So
0: by action you mean the grasping pose, right?
1: Whatever whatever. You can use that also for playing games, right? Okay. Strategic okay. games where you have to, multiple actions, you have to, to decide which one you want to, to do. What you typically do, you um, you consider all these actions, you consider how the, the action will end up, if it will lead you to a win or a lose or a, or, or, or a draw, and yeah. you associate values. And these values can be uh, considered as probab- probabilities. So it tells you, This one has, uh, you know, eighty percent to succeed and lead me to uh, a win solution, or this one has hundred percent. So I'm very sure if you take this action, I'm gonna lose, right? And now you can uh, wait your uh, your possible action and take the one that uh, seems best. Yeah, so
0: uh, that's also a bit of reinforcement learning, there, right?
1: Uh, Reinforcement learning is. Um, is a particular um, approach for solving a a, a class of problems, okay? Mm -hmm. Decision-making is a class of problems. So you can have uh, many, many, many different uh, games, applications, or uh, tasks that can be formulated as uh, decision-making process. There are... Almost the same amount of uh, of, of techniques to solve this, these problems. Okay, reinforcement learning is one of those. Yes. Machine learning, tends to you know, there is a supervised and supervised learning uh, where you have data, you try to or over- extrapolate some hidden patterns in the data, or you try yeah. to match some uh, uh, known data to some known labels. Right. Uh, In reinforcement learning, you is like a more trial and error kind of learning, and uh, but still, at the end of the day, you make uh, you know decision at at the end. You can the classification can be seen as a as a decision, right? Uh, I show you something, you decide if this something is uh, is class A or class B, right? Uh, Decision uh, reinforcement learning tends to, to 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 replicated the same kind of results but uh, he uh, lets the agent that could be a robot or an intelligent uh, system play with this environment and associate some reward function he yeah. associates yeah. good behavior evaluate good behavior and penalize bad behaviors okay but you learn yeah. by interacting and that uh, is obviously All of these techniques has uh, uh, advantages and disadvantages. The advantages of reinforcement learning is that uh, if you cannot really model your environment, you cannot come out with some other kind of learning procedure, reinforcement learning allows you to, you know, play with the environment and uh, and
2: your knowledge about
1: the environment in
2: order to achieve some particular task. And um, the disadvantages is that Depends on the task, depends on the environment, how complicated it is. It might take uh, forever to actually learn a good model, right? Because uh, yeah. if uh, for given a particular action, you can have uh, many different outcomes, right? So, uh, in order to see all of them and be able to actually know your environment, yeah, many, yeah, many mm-hmm. yes. right? So, it's a uh, um, um Uh, potentially is uh, endless learning. So many times in many particular tasks, it doesn't work, uh, the classical formulation. So what we do is uh, obviously apply assumption, making hybrids models that can cope with the particular tasks. So again, instead of having a machine that solves the entire problem, as it is, it solves a particular instance of that particular problem. So okay. okay
0: okay, okay. Uh, t- uh, taking this thing specific to the uh, dishwasher project so I'm trying to understand the overall uh, process of uh, you know a robot picking a uh, a dish from a, a pile of dishes and then placing it properly so I, I'll uh, kind of try to summarize what I have under just feel free to correct me wherever I'm wrong and uh, fill in the steps that I'm missing there so so there's a pile of dishes there it uh, placed for example in a in a container or in a tray or a box and these uh, dishes and it may also be glasses and other utensils there they are uh, totally randomly placed and then so uh, there must be a camera uh, on the ceiling or at any a particular location, and then uh, so uh, uh, so we get different images of uh, uh, the pile of dishes in a way, and then uh, there's a segmentation operation performed on the uh, on the on the an image with the pile of dishes, and uh, so basically, this particular image, uh, this uh, segmented image, and uh, in a way. A, a, an estimated grass pose is fed to a, a, a machine learning model or or a neural network system and then uh, mm-hmm. essentially uh, then for a new random set of pile images it, it predicts a new grass pose certainly uh, so is is this the way or uh, there was a different approach that you took, or uh, and what are the other different ways this problem can be handled?
1: Uh,
2: no, that was exactly it. We, we didn't use neural networks. We were using oh, okay. a, a, a generative model, generative model, probabilistic models, basically. Uh, yeah, the the thing I didn't I'll talk about was uh, where the camera was. The camera was placed on the wrist of the robot, which is uh, very common for a robot manipulator because uh, um, you have the position of the wrist, you know the position of the wrist, you know the offset of your camera, so the position of the camera is, is known, you can easily calibrate the camera, and then you can collect, Different point of view because you move your arm around, and it takes uh, images from different point of view, and that is very useful when you need to create a 3D representation of the scene, because we were not using uh, RGB images, 2D RGB images. We um, were using point, point clouds. So and we use analysis uh, that uh, enable us to have this point cloud that represent the uh, the, the, the cluttered scene. And uh, from the point cloud, we were uh, extrapolating a particular set of features that enabled the robot to find uh, uh, places in these uh, point clouds where we knew we could generate grass. Okay.
0: Okay. okay. So some features were generated manually uh, instead of feeding to a machine learning. No, you're no, no, no. Well,
2: there the, the, the is an automatic process. There were manually describe this feature. They were not uh, uh, learned by, by the, by the, okay. the it's not the accurate, figure out what are the best features. There are techniques to do this, but in our case, we're uh, defined um, uh, a priori. And this feature were like, uh, you know, the, the surface patches with these uh, uh, curvature, you know, of the normal directions, like, in this kind thing. This kind of stuff, right? So geometrical features associated with that uh, that uh, location, but we built uh, a um, a probabilistic model that was able to uh, find similarities of the patches you have learned when you were grasping an object on the on the uh, on the new point cloud that you were seen. Uh, and that this particular work was done by a colleague of mine, Mike Kopinski, which developed this system to learn uh, um, to generate a new grasp on new objects by learning in one shot the, the, the grasping algorithm. But again, uh, in my PhD thesis, this project was not part of my PhD, uh, my interest was always uh, associated with you a more dynamic kind of environment. So was not just statically come out with the grasp approach. So uh, that was the part of Marek Kubinski did in an amazing way, I would say. Uh, my part was, for example, if you have an object and you have uncertainty on the position of the object because there is a plan of object, you, you can see properly the object. Um, you know, humans tends to be very robust in this, uh, in the in, in grasping object, right? But they typically use a visual survey. So you look at the object uh, in your very very view. You also have your hands, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, when you're not looking, you're still able to reach object. But your policy changes completely. The way you approach the object is completely different. Because when you look, you go for a fine grasp, fine manipulation, you go for your fingertips, you know, you surrender the object and you apply forces, uh, and uh, the kinematic of your hand takes care of the rest, and the, you apply the efforts and you lift the object. When you don't look, uh, you the object, right? You try to, now you don't go with your finger, you prefer to have a contact with your palm because you know that from this position you just need to close your finger because the kinematic of your hands and uh, most likely you have the object, okay? And uh, also when you move your hand, you know, uh, this is an example I typically use uh, in the way you try to, you know, look for clues to find an object that you don't see. When you get inside the new room and it's dark, uh, you know the switch for the light is uh, on your left side. If you think about it, you don't look horizontally. You don't span horizontally the entire wall uh, on 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 next to the door, but you. Sp- Pan it uh, vertically because you know that the switch is something like uh, 10, 15 centimeters from the door. It's not farther away, but you're not sure about the height. So you go for the best um, estimation. If you don't find it, you move up and down. Right. So you apply a direction of where you're looking for your object. This direction comes out from your belief that the switch cannot be more than 15 centimeters away from the frame. Okay, so when you fail, your frame says you have failed most likely because the height was wrong, not the depth or the width, yeah. the, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. your approach for looking the, 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 the switch tends to, you know, Looking in the maximum direction of uncertainty. Right? Uh, because okay. you know that will drive you towards the goal. Uh, I implemented something like that. Given a grasp that I can compute on a new object, if I don't really know the estimation of the object because there is some, some issues in my perception part, I apply trajectory. And as I told you, the direction where you apply control is very well um, known, right? It's an old, uh, um, it's very old, uh, and very stable research field you can plan trajectory for robots with a lot of degree of freedom you can uh, plant trajectory in free space or uh, with obstacle of uh, various kinds of robots with a very complex kinematic and it's very efficient and there are a lot of algorithms to do that however uh, there is evidence that human can do very nice uh, control of you there are Right, But there is evidence that when there is uncertainty, they change their approach. They do not try to minimize the cost, which is uh, the closest way to reach that particular object, which typically is a straight line. But they move according to uncertainty. So it's like integrating uncertainty in your cost function, and now suddenly, the optimal path, the one that has the minimum cost, is trying to minimize the uncertainty. Okay. So by, by evaluating uncertainty, integrating uncertainty, in my uh, path planner, I was able to enable the robot to change his behavior from the early stage of the trajectory in order to have a more human kind of approach where you approach the object from... Uh, uh, trying to minimize the uncertainty. Okay, and then if you get the content, you're able to integrate this content, say, ah, okay, I touched the object. So the object was not there easier because I touched it, hatched, and now I can replan a new, new action. Um, and something that actually uh, surprised us was that uh, by integrating uncertainty in the planning process, we were able to grasp at the first attempt much more. Because the the algorithm was actually trying to, you know, approaching an object when you don't know where it is, and trying, you know, to get contact and then adjust to grasp it. Uh. But by changing the the, the direction, instead of going like you know, like this and then touch it and and reach the grasp, by integrating the uncertainty from the early stage of the subject, the robot would have come out with something like this ended up grasping at the very first attempt, like like human, in a sense. So it was very nice. We never explained why, because our model is completely different from what we think the brain does, which we don't really know. Um, But the results were very, very convincing. It was very interesting to see that the robot was actually able, by integrating this uncertainty and reasoning uh, directly in this uncertainty, his behavior was much more natural, in in, in, in a sense on his uh, on his performance. Ah,
0: uh, that's quite fascinating, actually. So the the, the way the, so. Uh, you talk about two different approaches so one is there's an object placed and then you have a predetermined grasp pose and then it picks it in a particular orientation but uh, then uh, uh, you talk about how we humans tend to you know manipulate objects when we close our eyes or we do not have enough information and then uh, you kind of adopted that approach and implemented it to your own project where a robot would also uh, uh, be dealing with the object position from an uncertainty point of view. So it's not sure where the object is, but it, it will try to approach it uh, uh, the way we humans do with. Uh, so I really like this idea of, uh, you know, but approaching.
2: Let me emphasize something. It. Uh, it's not like human
0: do. It's like inspired from humans. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> okay. I mean, no, uh, my, uh, my robot does what, what you want to do. Uh,
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
2: It's just uh, that uh, um, he behaves, behaves in a way mm-hmm. in, uh, by his mind, it seems like also human do. But the way we are doing it uh, and the way the robot does it, it's totally different. There are two different models, obviously. But, um, um, we cannot correlate that. Definitely, there is no evidence to prove that uh, one model uh, is an explanation there the other. Well, it might be an explanation, but definitely it's not uh, exactly the same. Right? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. So important... mostly inspired from uh, the way human the grasping thing might work, but mostly inspired by the concept.
2: Yeah, no, uh, it, it is inspired is that uh, there is evidence the human integrates for uncertainty
0: okay okay,
2: okay. Uh, this nice experiment done by um, um, uh, by neuroscientists where they were showing an object to the to the user then uh, they were shuttered the, uh, the glasses uh, and the user yeah. has to do it. and the object was grasped by a robot uh, so the robot could show the object in different position. And uh, there were experiments where the object was fixed in one position, the user was looking at the object, then the the, the glasses were shot and the the, the user had to grasp it. And he was going with basically a straight line. Uh, Then there were uh, experiments where uh, uh, the position where Um, Draw from uh, a Gaussian distribution. So for like uh, two seconds, the robot was moving the object around, and then the user knew that the last position was the position where the object was. Okay? So although the user knew the position of the object because he has seen it, since he has seen many other um, hypotheses, let's say, his approach was different it Was actually following this Gaussian distribution, he was trying to span the, the, the uncertainty region given by, by, by the Gaussian, although he knew where the object was. And then the third example, the third experiment was uh, I'm showing draw from the Gaussian, but now the object could be in any of this position. And obviously, the user was spanning the, the uncertain region much harder with more extreme, you know,
1: different. So, there is evidence that even if the uncertainty is, I show you some uncertainty, but then I tell you where the object is, your brain still compensates for that uncertainty. Okay. Okay. And you can see that the difference is not just at the end of the trajectory, but is from the very beginning. So the arm is actually following a different trajectory. And if we believe that the brain, when it moves. Compute trajectory which minimizes some costs to, you know, energy, um, kinematic costs that are embedded in the brain. Then uh, uncertainty is part of this cost. Is part of this cost function and uh, needs to be minimized when, when, when there is.
0: That's quite interesting. So the, could you also uh, share a link to the research paper? I'll add it in the description as well. And I personally also find it quite interesting. So I'll good. make sure I find time to read this one. Of oh, Yeah. So now let's move on to the other interesting project about uh, the prosthetic arm. Uh, yeah. Can you but, give, uh, give us more details about that one?
1: Well, that is, uh, um, you know, there I, um, as I mentioned at the very beginning, was uh, when one of my evolution, right? So moving to prosthetics. Now, there is not just the robot that does uh, operations, it is uh, the user in the loop kind of problems, where you have a user that needs to collaborate with, uh, with the machine, and the machine needs to be intelligent enough to be able to collaborate back with the with the user, so they commonly try to achieve a task. And uh, um, and there is a, a different terminology here that I would like to explain. There is a shared controller, and there is a semi-autonomous control. The shared control is where you typically have a button. The user has button. And it uh, can switch from fully autonomous to fully teleoperated.? right? So you know there are some functionalities. the robot can operate by himself,
0: yeah.
1: and you activate them when it's possible. If the robot has issues or that re- we know that there is a lack of functionalities, um, then we move back to the uh, teleoperation, and the cognitive part is totally on the on the user. Right? And then there are semi-autonomous ro- uh, robots, which is the area I'm actually looking at, where um, where basically the user needs to be in control all the time, right? He provides inputs, and the inputs needs to be um, command signal for the machine. Okay. Okay. And uh, uh, in prosthetic, this is really complicated. Because typically, what you try to do to have a natural control, you have uh, activation of the muscles that we can record, and uh, try to look a pattern. So, if you activate a particular sequence of muscles or a particular muscle, you you want to you know close your index, right? And if you activate another muscle, you want to change from the index to the middle finger. And uh, then you activate it, you close it, you open, and whatever. So you have very little degree of freedom. It's like kind of uh, the two joystick, one control each degree of freedom. It's very frustrating. It's very difficult to to, to work. The bin uh, a something like a, a, a challenge for uh, cyber cyber uh, is called uh, is a is a challenge for. Uh, uh, for cyber machines and prosthetics. And there were one task where there were several um, people participating with different type of uh, um, prosthetics. And they had to empty a, a shell. So there were a shelf with some objects, picking the object, place it in a box. That was the, the case. Well, there were several um, user par- participants, only one managed to finish the task, only one. and uh, he had the most basic prosthetic of all. He had like a, okay. a, a pinch, he could activate open and close, he was close, you know, was activating his muscle, the pinch was closing. He was re- relaxing the muscle, he was open, right? So with that simple prosthetics, he actually was the only one that was able to complete the task. All the other that had three fingers or five fingers uh, were able to do much more complex, um, you know, operations, the control could not deal with that. So the user is not able to learn the control to actually do those operations in a natural way. Okay, and they and that was uh, a huge, you know, was a huge uh, um, wake up call because uh, yes, We are now at the point where we can technologically develop fancy hand with uh, many degree of freedoms and uh, do a lot of functionalities, but then the user cannot control it. So the control part there is a button, right? So we are also working on uh, how you can um, try to enable the user with that limited number of uh, degree of Freedom you can actually control, or degree of actuation you can actually control, how you can operate fancy prosthetics that provides many functionalities. Okay. And our approach, again, is uh, making the prosthetic intelligent. If the prosthetics knows. What kind of uh, operation you try to, to to do? We can infer what kind of operation you want to do. So is this uh, uh, intention detection. So I'm sending input to the to the uh, to the prosthetics. The prosthetics has uh, this brain of its own that tries to understand what the user wants to do. In order to do that, obviously, we are talking about uh, applications that cannot be commercialized right now, because uh, yeah. you would have information from there, because you cannot really establish the intention of the user from only his actuation, from his muscle activation. Because uh, the same muscle activation as proved can be used for many, many, many different uh, tasks, right? If I wanted to grasp the, this glass, uh, do I want it because I want to place it somewhere else or because I want to go? to drink so you know the, I will change the configuration of my or my fingers and the, the purpose of the gospel. Um if I can have information about my world so if I can have cameras in helmet uh, with the, the user has an element with the camera that can see what is going on if the user has a a schedule that I can learn and know this is breakfast time. So if I want to grasp the the glass, most likely because I wanted to drink some juice, you know. And uh, there are all these inferences that if they were there, we could make our system intelligent. And we have demonstrated a very simple approach, uh, simple scenario in a, in a, in a case uh, in simulation where you have an object you want to grasp it, you have several options to to grasp it but I can infer from experience, I can infer which kind of action you want to do. And uh, while the user is moving the prosthetic towards the object, the fingers moves automatically to, to grasp the object in a particular okay. way. Mm-hmm. And now yeah, there is another point which you have to take into account, which is the you try to figure out what is the intention of the user. But if the intention is wrong, you know you needed to allow the user to to, to to correct that and plus you don't want the you know the hand to move autonomously right without uh, any any input the hand to start doing a uh, you know uh, crazy stuff that would be very wrong the user will not trust the prosthetic will never use something like that right so uh, that's that's another issue that you always need to be winning the trust, giving the illusion of control to the to the operator. The operator, it's like driving a car which has uh, a um, ABS. Right, you 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 brake in the car, you actually do not control the pressure of the brakes on the on the wheels. And uh, to be honest. Uh, Modern cars have different pressure applied to different uh, wheels according to some sensor in some context to give you the perfect, the optimal uh, brake, right? But you're happy with that, even if it's transparent, even if you know it's there. For the human, it's transparent in the sense that I activate the brake, and they know the brakes just give provide me a better way of breaking. But I can press the 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 the, the, uh, the pedal and I can obtain the results I want so I trust the ABS system right yeah. If you have autonomous cars that moves the wheels uh, autonomously I had this experience that they were trying to follow the the sideline of the of the lane and uh, um, I ended up in a road where they were uh, working in progress working in progress and the lines were Kind of messed up. So when I was trying to reach my, you know, I was in Italy, so my um, right and uh, uh, lane, the car moved me away because it found okay. a line that was not supposed to be there and corrected the trajectory. And for a moment, you know, there is when the car does something that you don't expect, and yeah. that triggers the, the red flag. Let's say, mm, I can't trust the car. He's not doing what I want him to do. right? So uh, that's the, 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 the another aspect when you have a user in the loop uh, that you need to gain his trust and provide the system interface that, uh, that uh, is stable and predictable for
0: the yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's a very inter- in, uh, interesting challenge.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I like this idea of giving illusion of control because uh, then as you mentioned that uh, if you give a, a, an operator too much control then it's also really difficult to handle for him for example for uh, give him a, a prosthetic that has five fingers to control for example a lot of degrees of freedom for him to uh, properly have a, a, a sensible control of so, but he still wants to have an illusion of control uh, because he doesn't want the hand to move on autonomously and do things that he don't doesn't want it to. <laughs> that, that's quite interesting. Yeah. So the uh, was this also the project that uh, uh, you were talking about? Uh, yeah, that can be applied to hazardous environments or uh, is there a different kind of project for that well
1: um, again uh, we were still uh, using uh, slightly different models but uh, to accomplish the same task mm-hmm. in a hazard environment again uh, the system is very different because now you have a huge robot which is uh, in another room yeah. so there is uh, other issues like, for example, the perception of the user. Because uh, if the user needs to control the degree of freedom of the entire robot and he sees the robot from a small windows with one perspective or from two cameras, you still lose some perspective. You, you are not free to move, to compensate. So that perception, especially in some cases, can be very hard. And if you want to grasp an object, that perception comes very, very much, right? So, what happening is that uh, if you can, uh, the user is drives the robot towards an object, but the user, the robot is able to see what kind of objects are there and generate his own grasp and his own path planning, so you can generate a trajectory to reach that grasp, and the user yeah. drives towards that trajectory, then the 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 the, the, the auto the, the autonomous robot part can follow the Plan trajectory which is optimal to reach that particular object, giving the illusion to the user to be, uh, be, the illusion that is controlling the robot by driving the robot towards that object. But the trajectory is not the the user will draw like a, a straight line trajectory to the particular object, like uh, you know driving your wrist towards something, but the robot actually manage to control all these um, degree of freedom which can be many up to 20 30 depends on the, the robot and you will be able to do a proper trajectory which will end it up on the object in a transparent way and the user feels the control doesn't care if the the robot is you know what what kind of movement the robot does uh, um, um, as far as uh, they are they they're reasonable for the for the for the user to 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 move the robot towards that particular position, right? So again, here we combine an intelligent assistant that is able to do autonomous uh, procedure but waits for the input of the user. and although the robot can See an image of it, you know a scene with many objects and can plan grasp for every object, he waits the user to drive him towards one particular object, which is the target for the user. So the cognitive side of I want to be
2: grasping is it's, 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 it's still on the operator side. But um, since the, the hand knows the arm knows how to grasp all the objects, when he figures out who is the object, it will follow the trajectory and and, and grasp it for him. Yeah,
0: so essentially the same idea uh, uh, of the prosthetics can also be applied to uh, this particular uh, situation.
2: So the same input system like instead of having you know joysticks you could do you could have for muscle activation could have augmented reality for uh, having the scenes seeing from the robot point of view and you could yeah. add, you know this kind of technology are, are being developed and uh, we're yeah. collaborating there is no real um, prototypes right now for this kind of industry but we have seen in in, in the game market right uh, nowadays there are a lot of games in the you uh, to, to guess, guess. You know, have joysticks in your hands, uh, or you know, control your dinky uh, net can take, uh, can estimate the movements of your arm because I have a model and translate like these commands for your uh, for your virtual character in your in your game.
0: Okay, yeah, And that's another application uh, uh, the game industry that can be
2: exactly that's again uh, how the... Research works, right? Many things uh, are developed where we can, and uh, especially where there are money, (laughs) and that's something the 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 markets that drives the research, and and then when the research is solid, is mature, we can use that across different applications.
0: Ah, yes, 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 that makes sense. So, uh, that was quite some uh, detailed explanation of the, the, you know, technical projects that uh, you shared.
2: Uh, I hope that it was also clear.
0: Yeah, it, it was quite clear. Of course, I mean, uh, uh, I cannot get full information uh, because it, it it's also a project that you get to know full understanding when you're doing, but I mean, a lot of the major ideas were very clear and, and also I, I'll... definitely reading the research paper uh, that you will be sharing it so I'll definitely get more clarity on that.